So that is so wonderful and true. I want to open up this morning and read you the, what I believe is the key verse in the book of Acts. As you know, we are looking through the book of Acts. We are working through the book of Acts. I'm going to talk to you today about the advice of a fence-sitter. Who knows what's a fence-sitter? Somebody who sits on a fence. They can't make up their mind. Do you know a few people? Are you one of those? A fence-sitter. You know, then one day you're on the one side and the other day you're on the other side. You just, you just can't make up your mind which side you want to take. I know with a few AFL teams I'm like that, but I won't go into that. But uh, I want to take you back to Acts chapter 1, which I believe for me is the key verse of the book of Acts. If you understand this verse, you will understand the book of Acts. Because over the last few months and weeks that we were looking in the book of Acts, we are just following what this verse is saying. We see the effects of this verse. Who knows what is that key verse in chapter 1? Verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And I'm going to read it to you, although I can quote it to you just out of my head. It says there in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, I'm going to read from verse 7, and he said, this was Jesus, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. And we see the times and the seasons play off in our lifetime. We see this, the times and the seasons. Everything for God is in his time and in his season for the world. Everything in your life is in God's time and in His season. You may go to the Lord in prayer and say, Oh Lord, I want it right now. I want it, you know, like a, a child who throws a tantrum. But I want it and I want it now. And God says, in my time. Who loves God's time? God's time is always the best time. The perfect time. You want to do things? All I can say to you, do it in God's time. Lean not on your own understanding, the Bible says. Trust in God with all your heart. This is so important because God has got seasons and He's got times. And if you start to understand God's seasons and times, your Christian walk will have so much more growth in it. And he says here, he says, it is not for you to know because it plays off for us. And now he uses this, he says, but you shall receive power. Everybody say power. What power is that? You should know in this church by now. Dunamis power. What words do we get from dunamis? Dynamite and dynamic, dynamo. He says, you will receive power when what happens? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He's speaking this to those disciples there. Did he speak it to you as well? Of course. Have you got the Holy Spirit in you and with you? You have to. If you say to me, I don't know yet, then we have to have a serious conversation about you coming to the cross of Christ and be born again. Because what happens at that point in time? The Spirit of God comes into your life and He sorts your life out. He says, if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 and 9. He's faithful enough to forgive you your sins instantaneously. And then that's not where the verse stops. Go and check me out on this. He says, and He will cleanse your unrighteousness. In other words, your style, your lifestyle. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and He fixes you up. He cleans you up from the inside out. He sets things right. He sets the account right. But that's not all He does. He gives you power to become my witnesses. My witnesses, the word there for witness is martyr. In, in other words, I will die for Christ. I will die for this cause. All of these men in the book of Acts died for what they believed in. Are you willing to die for what you believe in? Are you willing to die on a social way? Because we are not paying with our lives right now in Australia. Some people in the world are paying with their lives. But are you willing on a social level to pay with your social life for Christ? What is that one thing that you love the most in your life? The one thing that you spend the most of your time on? What is that one thing? What is that one habit you've got that you say, I can't give this up? Are you willing to give that up for Christ? If not, 
If not, you, you, you know what's going to happen. You will not be able to say, I've got the dunamis power. You've got to come to the cross and ask the Holy Spirit. First of all, he will, he will take away your sin and then He will come in and He will strengthen you. The paracletos will be with you. And all we're seeing in the book of Acts is this. He says, you will, be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Now listen to this now, because this lays out the whole book, the transitional book of the book of Acts. He says, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is important. If you want to understand the book of Acts, study that verse. Study that verse. Draw it on a map. And see what's happening. Because for the last few weeks, we were just in Jerusalem. Have you noticed? These apostles is only going back to the temple. They are going back into their habit. They do what they used to do all the time. And now we see the results of the power of God in amongst the people. What is the first thing we saw? We saw a group of 5,000 people when they received the gospel through the power that these men preached. What happened to them? They were saved. That is a reaction to the power of God. And then we saw another group. What did this group do? They were infuriated. They wanted to kill them. They grabbed them violently. They put them in jail. There's a reaction. There's a reaction to the power of God. For the first time, these men are going out now, each one, and they proclaim the gospel. And the gospel will have diverse effects upon people. Now, I want to ask you this morning, although you sit here in church, what is your reaction to the Holy Spirit in your life? I hope you don't just come in here on a Sunday to get more teaching but the Spirit of God needs to work in your life. Now listen to me clearly. You may be saved. I don't know. Only you and God know. You may be saved. Not to say that if you come to church you are saved. Who knows that? You may be saved. That's why I use that word maybe even in this hall. I mean you look around and you say, Oh, come on. Preacher? Pastor? Look at all these lovely brothers and sisters. But only you and God will know whether you are saved or whether you are just sitting here and your life changed due to association to the church. Let's call it as it is, yeah? You may be saved and you may come in, but if you're not going to allow the Holy Spirit, which is going to test you at every single sermon, I mean, you need to come into this hall, sit down, and when you say, oh, today I'm going to hear from God, not just forget me, I'm going to hear the Word of God. And you need to say, God, let your Word come into my heart and identify every single thing which is not pleasing to you. Is that how you come to church? If not, the only reason why you come to church then is to become more smarter and to learn more scripture verses and to be able to go into people and to tell them all of this knowledge you've got. Knowledge will not get you to heaven. Quoting scripture verses one after the other won't get you to heaven. It won't give you eternal life. Trying to be smart won't get you there. Trying to impress your friends and your family. You know, to go up and to say, Oh, in my quiet time, I had such a wonderful time with the Lord. Yes, say it if you really mean that and you've had that. But just to say it to impress people won't give you eternal life. It won't grow your spiritual life an inch. So we see the reaction now of people when they come, when they come in touch with this power that, that Jesus said to the disciples, you will receive this power and, and you will go out. And we see the reaction. And I'm just going to read through the rest of chapter 5 today. And I'm going to take bits and pieces and give you commentary on that. But there's going to be one man we're going to see today. And we see a different reaction. To this point, we saw the people who were saved by the grace of God and the gospel, and we saw the people with resistance. You're going to see that again today. But there's a reason for that resistance. And then we're going to come to this one man. And I've heard so many people preach about him and say, oh, he's such a wonderful man. You know, the Lord used him in this moment, but I disagree with that. So let's open up in your Bibles in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And it says, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders. Everybody say signs. And say wonders. 
Many signs and wonders were done amongst the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared to join them, but the people esteemed them highly. I want to just touch on these signs and wonders, because we've got in our world even today churches who follow signs and wonders with every single thing. They say that every church service, there needs to be signs and wonders. And I disagree with that. If you want to walk according to the Bible, and let me just say by the outset, I absolutely believe in signs and wonders. Don't turn around and say to me, Pastor, do you don't believe in miracles anymore? Of course I do. I've seen miracles in my life. In my preaching life, I've seen it. But you see, the thing here is when we get to signs and wonders here, we need to remember to whom did these men preach. We need to remember the environment where they are right now. They were in Jerusalem. And who is in Jerusalem? Jews. Who did they talk to? Jews. They were talking to Jews right now. Gentiles was not even, even close to that. They didn't even in their, in their mindset had Gentiles in there. All Peter and the apostles thought is, wow, this is now not under the law anymore, but this is the new way. You will see that Acts is going to call it the way, capital it the way, the way of Christ. And now these apostles thought, wow, this is so great. We've got something different than our forefathers. We've got Christ. But they were still preaching it to the Jews. And now we see signs and wonders. And one asked the question, I've already preached about this, one asked the question is, why still signs and wonders? Well, it's because Paul gave us the answer. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, he says, For the Jews seek what? They seek signs. The Jews are looking for these signs. And the Greek seeks after wisdom. That's where Plato came from and Socrates and all these men. You know, the philosophers. They seek this. Why did the Jews... You know, there was one day when the Greeks came to to the apostle and they said, we want to see Jesus. You remember that passage? Why do you think they wanted to see Jesus? Because they wanted to test their psychology and their philosophy against the philosophy of this new teacher. They were seeking his wisdom. But the Jews were looking for signs. Because those signs and wonders showed, it showed the Jews that these means were authentic. It shows the Jews that these means are from God. It showed the Jews that the word, the message these men were bringing was from God. That's why you will follow all over in the first, in the book of Acts, signs and wonders. Let me again say, this is not the model for the, the current day church. It's not the model for us. Why? Because we walk by faith. What is faith? Do we first have to see before we believe? No. Do we first have to see wonders and signs? I remember, you know, when, when I came, when the Lord saved my, my soul, it wasn't at all. There were no miracles that day in that church. It was the message from the pulpit that cut my heart. There wasn't something going on. And I pray that that's how it happened to you. You see... These men were doing these signs and wonders because God authenticated them. But even this tells us something here. He says that yet no, not the rest dare to join them. If signs and wonders was the thing, why didn't this group join them? Why not? No, no, we come to Christ. The reason why these people didn't join them is because of the power of the synagogue. Back in the day, again he's preaching to Jews. You remember, the synagogue had such a hold over people. They were so afraid to be pushed out by society. And this is what happened. You remember the man who was blind and, and Jesus healed him? And he came and the parents were too afraid to say what happened. Why? They were afraid that the Jews was going to put them out of the synagogue. Let me just say, all other religions... 
all other, and I might offend a few people, but let me say this, there is no, and you know, what we do is not a religion, we've got a relationship with Jesus Christ and through Him to the Father and the Holy Spirit, but all other religions is religions of fear, that is so. If you look at Roman Catholicism, and I hope I said that right, people don't want to leave that. I've, I've been dealing, I've been ministering in my life to a lot of people in, in that church. And they come to the point that they say, Preacher, I believe everything. The Bible is true. There's no other book than the Word of God. Jesus is the only way to God. The only way. Not the Pope, not Mary, not, you know, Saint Philip, not Saint Mark, Marco Polo, not Saint whoever. There's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. But, you know, I speak to this man, and, and he goes... His wife sits in tears next to him on the north shore of Auckland. I sit with him and he says, I believe everything you tell me, but I'm too afraid that if I'm going to walk away from the Roman church now, I'm going to sit in purgatory for the rest of my life. You know what kept him there? Fear. That's it. They were afraid to join them. And let me just say, you can't join. You can't join the body of Christ. You can join a church. You can go to any other church and join the church and let him put you on their register. But you get born into the body of Christ. There's only one way. You get born into the body of Christ. And these people, you see, again I tell you this. There's this reaction on the power. The power is now moving amongst the people. And don't come to me and say, where is your God? Show him to me. I'll show my God in how he changes people's lives today. I'll show that to you. I will see people who are ruthless sinners, who are ruthless robbers, when the Spirit of God comes. Listen to me. Listen to me. Not only the preaching, but when the Spirit of God starts shaking a man's heart, that that person's life turns around and they start serving the Lord. Nothing else has got what the power of God has got. Amen. You see, this is the result. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And these men were preaching the gospel. Don't come to me in this church and say, Preacher, where is the signs? Where is the wonders? Where is the, the, you know, the working of the... No, no. Come to me and say, are you preaching the word in spirit and truth? And is that word changing people's lives? Because if it's not, you are wasting your time. You need to go and find another place. So uh, we see this happening, you know, this, this reaction to the Spirit of God moving. These people won't join. We don't want joiners. I don't want joiners. I don't want you to come and join this church. I want you to come here and be born into the body of Christ. You know what will happen? Wonderful things. Marvelous things. You will have fellowship, first of all, with the Father. With the Father. And when you have fellowship with the Father, you have fellowship with one another. So wonderful. And the believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick. Now, hang on to this now. We know wonders and, and, and miracles and wonders happen. Now they bring out the sick. Oh, there's something happening here. They identified there's a power going on. They brought him into the streets and laid him on the beds and couches that at least, listen to this now, the shadow of Peter passing might fall on some of them. Also the multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing the sick people and those who are tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now this is the question. You know, when you see these things, this is a wonderful thing. I don't think we can anticipate what's happening here. Can you, can, can you imagine what, 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 what I've just read to you? There's such a commotion going on in Jerusalem now that they bring all the sick people and they lie them down. They go, you need to see how they've worked it out. What angle is the sun? When is Peter going to walk here? Where is his shadow going to fall? They just didn't run. They were meticulously now trying to get the sick people to this power. 
And they brought him out and laid him amongst the street. And as Peter walks by, so that his shadow, look at the faith now all of a sudden. Look at the faith all of a sudden. When his shadow falls on them, they get healed. They get healed and they brought out those demon possessed and they laid hands or prayed for them and those spirits leave them. Wow, that is a marvelous, marvelous, wonderful thing that happened. Now, let me ask you the question then again. Is this then the model for today? You know, and, and, I, and I'm coming to this point, you know, where we have healing services. You know, next Sunday, we're not going to have a gospel service. We're going to have a healing service. Bring all the sick to church. Yes, it's good to bring the sick to church. We will pray for them. But do not try to copy what's happened in the book of Acts. This is not the model for the church today. You get now healing ministries. Healing ministries. Healing rooms. Have you heard that one? Healing rooms. And look, may the Lord bless their hearts. If God called you for that, praise the Lord. But if you do not preach the gospel of Christ, you are wasting your time. That is the essence of this. Marvelous. You know, just as now people going around and say, we need to do this. Let's have a healing service. Let's have it outdoors. Let's see what side the sun is. Let's put people down. Let's bring a self-proclaimed prophet or apostle over and let's see if we can do this. You will not be able to copycat the Spirit of God. Point in case. And we will see another example of that later in the book of Acts. God works in His own way. So this is not the model for the church today. You say to me then, but preacher, what do we do then with the sick people that's in church? Because, is there sick people in our church? Is there? Come on, don't fall asleep on me. Is there? Yes. There is sick people in the church. What do we do? Well, thank you that you've asked. Because the Bible has got the answer. He says it right there in James chapter 5. Have you bothered to read the book of James? If you do, you would have come across this. He says, if anyone among you is suffering. Have we got people in the church that's suffering? Yes, of course we do. What do we do with people that's suffering? Oh, I hear a lot of things. We go and see a psychologist, and we do this, and we do that. And now, no, no. What do we do? The, the Lord is clear. If you believe the Bible is the Word of God, then it's God now saying to you what we shall do. If people are suffering... Let him. Oh, I remember a very uh, uh, old pastor back in the day. He's passed on to be the, with the Lord now. Pastor Peter Schneeman. Man, he was a man. He would preach the word, man, in fire and brimstone. Peter Schneeman. And I remember at the privilege that under his ministry, and I, the Lord saved me. And I remember I was sitting one night uh, um, with them, and there was this young man coming in, and he had problems in his life, suffering. And he came in, and, and he was sitting in, in the couch there. And we were praying, and, and all of a sudden, Pastor Peter Sneeman stopped everything. He looked him in the eyes. He says, you've got problems in your life. Yeah? Yes, Pastor. Yes, yes. Where's the help? He says, oh, have you prayed? How is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? Have you prayed about your problem? Why do you come to us to pray? Have you prayed first of all? And you know what? That's how the men of old were. Man. You had to really sit there and go, yes, no. But that is so true. That is so true. Brothers and sisters, I'm not a magical man. I'm just preaching the word of God by the grace of God. If you want your life to be healed, go to the mighty counselor. All I'm going to do is I'm going to point you to the mighty counselor. But you need to pray to him yourself. I can't do it on your behalf. You know, you can't go to the Pope to pray on your behalf. Pray to a person to pray. Hey, pastor, can you talk to God on my behalf? What's wrong with your relationship with him? You need to be able to go to him and pray. Is anybody cheerful? Can we see the hands? Yes, what do you do in the church when you're cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Amen. Are you singing? Are you a singing saint? Oh, but you don't know my voice. I'm so off note. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter. To God wants to see your heart. He wants to know if you can sing to him and be cheerful. Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Everybody say sick. 
What happens then? What happens? We call out a healing service. And again, I'm not bagging anybody. Please hear me out here. You know, the Lord will heal you in this service today if He wants to heal you. I don't have to have a special one. No, no, He can do that. If anyone is sick, let Him call the elders of the church and let them pray over Him. What do we do? My shadow. No, we pray over Him. We pray over Him, anointing Him with the oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Have you noticed? Have you noticed the English translation says it will save the sick and not heal the sick? Have you noticed? Because I've seen so many people, if I look back in churches and so on, which they bring people in and they've got all the canes against the walls. This is how many people left there, you know, the, the canes and everything here. And then they pray for somebody and if they don't get healed, what do they say? Your faith is not big enough. That's nonsense, sorry to say it. I challenge every person who preached that to come and talk to me and I'll open up the word today. No, no. You see, you save the heart of the sick first. You know, if somebody is sick, and if you come to me and say, pray for, my, pray for, for this friend of mine, and I go, oh, is your friend say, serving the Lord? No, no, they don't serve the Lord. No, you don't understand. But they are in a really difficult position. Pray for them. You know what I'll pray for? For the salvation of that person's heart. And if they do not make it, by God's way, if they are saved before they do not make it, praise the Lord. So this is just one thing that I wanted to talk about. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he committed sins, he will be forgiven. You see, it goes about the heart. Let's go back. Verse 17, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. Sadducees. Why? Because they didn't believe these angels. They didn't believe this life after death. And that is sad, you see. To go through life like that, sad, you see. Um, but that is the sect. This is the political side of them. And they were filled with indignation. How can these men do this? How can they heal these people? You see, there's the reaction on the power of God. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, there is some teaching which say that it is Jesus himself who came to do this. I will just go with the scripture and say it's an angel of the Lord. He opened it up and listened to his words. Hey, I've freed you now. Run off. Go to Australia. Go to South Africa. Way out of the earth. No, no. He says to them, go stand in the temple where they were arrested and speak to the people what? The words of this, what life is that? Eternal life. The life of Christ. He says, go and stand again. Go back to where you were. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and started teaching. They taught. But the high priest and those who came and called the council together, the council together, here comes the council with all the elders and all of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. Now the council sits. Bring those, those rebels here. You see, but when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, which is amazing, because those prisons had guards around them, they returned and said, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, and the guards standing outside before the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. <laughs> that is so fantastic. Because, remember it happened before, didn't it? We put a body into a cave. We rolled a stone in front of it. We put the emperor's mark on it. We put soldiers outside. But the next morning, what happened? The stone has been rolled away. He's not there anymore. The same happened here. Well, wonderful, marvelous. How could this be? Now look at the reaction. I love this. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple, the captain of the temple, that's like the, the police chief, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered, mm, what outcome would it be? What would happen here? And, and you know, the good thing for them would have been that these guys jumped up and they, they fled. They ran away. They went to Australia, okay? They got somehow onto a, a dinghy and they start going down to Australia. 
So one came and told them, Look, the men whom you've put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Oh, that is persistence, isn't it? Now I want to test you. You see, we come to the Word of God and we don't just want to sit here in church. Would you have done that? Would you have gone straight back to the same place? Persistent. Why did these men go there? Because the angel said to them, Go back to the temple and preach what? The, the life. See what happens now. Then the captain, oh, now he's, he's now in, in embarrassed, went with the officers and brought them now with, without violence. For they feared the people lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? This is a reaction to the power of God. It's just a reaction. Did we not strictly command you not to do this? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. This is so hypocritical. We told you not to do this. Now you keep on doing it. You know what you're trying to do? You want to bring this man, Jesus, you want to bring his blood on us. But that blood of that man is already on them. Because I recall back in Matthew chapter 27, when Pilate washed his hands and he said, I find no fault in this man. And he let Barabbas go. You remember that? What, what happened? He says, this man's blood, you know, when he washed his hands, this pagan man, when he washed his hands, Pilate, in fact, that was a sign to say, this man's blood is not on me. It's not on me. What did the crowd shout out? They said, his blood will be on us and our children. Wow. Talking about people saying things which they didn't think through. What, where was these chief priests and the captain and the pharaoh? Where were they? Why didn't they jump in all of a sudden and say, whoa, 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 you can't say this. You are calling the blood of the Son of God on you and your children. Oh, let me just say, the blood of Christ is on this world. You need to listen very carefully what I'm saying now. Because what these people said is true. The blood of Christ is on the world. Now that blood is either saving you from your sin, or it's going to speak against you. You've called it. The people has called it. And now they want to come and say, why would they bring this blood story out now? Because from this day, from this day when this was said, no doubt, I believe that they discussed it. Because if you go back to the Old Testament, it is all about the Messiah who would come. And now doubt creeps in. And they say, no, 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 we better, we better backtrack from this. You're trying to bring this man's blood on us. But let me just say the blood was already upon them. you come to the cleansing blood of Christ? Have you? You can't escape the blood of Christ. Let, let me say it to every single car who drives past here, as well as in this room. You cannot escape the blood of Christ. You say to me you're an agnostic. I'm saying to the agnostic today, let me look into the screen if there's somebody. I'm saying to the agnostic today, you will not be able to escape the blood of Christ. Now it's either going to speak for you or against you. Or against you. You say, where do you get this? Well, I remember that when Jesus Christ, before he went to the cross, went where? Into the garden of Gethsemane. And what did he drink there? The cup of wrath. The cup of wrath. So now all of a sudden, no, no, his blood is on you trying to do this. No, it's already done. But Peter, and I love this now, always an opportunity for the gospel. And Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Praise the Lord. The God our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. 
How clear can it be? Don't bring this man's blood on us. How clear can it be? He said to them, actually, he says, you murdered him. So his blood is on you by hanging him on a tree. Him, God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior. My brother, you said it over the table this morning. Where is Jesus today? I tell you exactly where he is. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I know exactly if you are saved by the blood of the Lamb, if you are born again and you die today, I will tell you exactly where you're going according to the Word of God. You're going to be with Him. Not down, you're going up to be with Him. Different message. She says, Him He exalted to rant and the Prince of Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Ooh, man! When he said these, remember they are still in Jerusalem. They are still preaching to the Jews. He is now flatly telling them, you are sinners. The blood of Christ is upon you. That's what he's telling them. Now we need to see the reaction. And we are his witnesses. Remember Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power to be my witnesses. Now he's saying it. We are his martyrs to these things. And so also the Holy Spirit, whom He gave us to obey Him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. And here they're stepping into the unpardonable sin against the Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit is knocking on their door. He goes, you are sinners. How many times has He preached the gospel now? This is His third time. Third time. That these same men heard the same message. How many times have you, how many sermons have you listened in your life? Is it a hundred? How many sermons have you, have heard? I mean, let's just think about this quickly, will they? Is it maybe 200 sermons? 200? Is it only 200 sermons in your lifetime? Woo! Then you better start listening more. For those who's in this church now for eight years, I've been preaching 365 weeks. Let's take out, let's take it down to, let's say 300. It's 300 times eight. You know, there's a lot of sermons. And I believe, not only me preaching, other preachers come here and preach as well. 350, let's call it 300 and, uh, 330. Make up a number. Okay, make up a number. How many times? I would believe that a lot of us has heard, you know, way over 10,000 sermons. And every one of those sermons, if it was preached in spirit and truth, the Holy Spirit would have spoken to you. Yeah? And sometimes he said to you to change stuff in your life. Have you changed it? That's a awakening thought, isn't it? Now let me hurry on. Let's see. I've got five, ten minutes. Verse 34, then one of the councils stood up, and now we come to this man. I'll be quick with this man. This is a very dangerous position to be. One of the councils stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a while. Just put them out. And he said to them, men of Israel, take it. Be careful to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400 people, joined him. You see, these are the joiners. He was slain, he was killed, and all those who obeyed him were scattered, and they came to nothing. After this man, a man by the name of Judas of Galilee, he rose up in the days of the census and drew many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. A very compelling argument, isn't it? Very compelling. I mean, if you think about this. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan is, uh, for, for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And now we come to this man the advice of a fence-sitter. I want to I suggest to you today that Gamaliel is a fence-sitter. He's in, in one of the worst positions you can be serving God. One of the worst. 
You either serve God and you have joy in God, or you disobey God and you try to find joy in the world. And I, and I look in the world and there's people who seem they're enjoying themselves. I, you know, I look at them, they prosper. So many times the people in the church ask me the question, how is it then so that we serve God and we are struggling, but we look at those people who don't serve God and they're doing well? Have you heard that? They're happy, it seems. But they're not, because the Bible talks about them, okay? I'm going to save time. But the people who are the most frustrated is the people who sits with the one leg over there and the one leg in the world. This is what this is. The most frustrated. You want to do, you want to serve God, but the world's pulling you. The world's pulling you so hard, and then you say, I need to get back to God. And I see it so often. I see it with people coming to church. Oh, I'm so tired today. Oh, man, I think they're going to not miss me for one Sunday. By the way, I'm not doing any checks on you. If you're not here on a Sunday, the Lord didn't call me to babysit His children, okay? I haven't got a register or a register. I'm not going to call you up and say, you better give me a doctor's letter because you were not in church, okay? Or you've taken enough sick leaves now not to come to church. You're an adult, and you need to grow up in Christ, yes? And there's circumstances. You know what I see sometimes to people in New Zealand? You wake up on a Sunday morning and say, it's a beautiful day out there, and man, I, look at that sea, the sea is calling me, I just want to get into the water. Oh, but i got to go to church. Oh, look at that water, it's so bright, I just want to be there. You know what I say to that person? Go to the sea and go and swim. Is that shocking you? Why do I say that? Because I don't want a fiend sitter that Sunday morning in church. Because you're going to sit here and I'm going to preach, you know, until I'm red in the face. All over the place. And where are you going to be? You're on the seaside. You're on the beach. So what am I saying? Go. Go to the beach. And let the Holy Spirit then, once you walk into the water, the first few steps you're going in, and the Holy Spirit all of a sudden go, where are you, my child? I'm not in the right place. I'd much rather you run out with sandy feet back into the church than you sitting here and thinking about the church. Amen? But here we find the fence. Let's finish on this guy. Gamaliel. What do we know about this man? He was the grandson of Hillel. Have you guys heard this name? Hillel was this founder of Israel's school of religion. There were two schools of religion, by the way. Similar to our day, there was a more right side of religion and there was a left side of religion, believe it or not. One of the biggest things they discussed was divorce. Okay, This man was more conservative about divorce. And by the way, out of this school is where Paul came from. So if you now read Paul, when he comes through the doctrine after Christ was with him, you will still see the influences of this man, Hillel, onto his grandson. Gamaliel was his grandson. But all the influences and the teachings went through to Gamaliel, and under Gamaliel sat Paul, Saul of Tarsus. And when we talk about divorce, I've got a sermon online, you can go and listen. These, these two schools that came out of that. But this is where this man came from. He was well known. He was in, uh, in fact called Rabunai. That was what he was called. All the other teachers were called rabbis. He was called Rabunai, which means our teacher. By. So he was a very influential man. Very influential. So now let's look at his advice, his reference. He says, do not worry about these people. Because we remember Thaddeus and we remember Judas. And you know, in a way, he's right. You know, his reference was right. His advice was not right. Why do I say that? Because Psalm 146 teaches us. He says, do not put your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, whom there is no help. His spirit departs. He's, he returns to the earth. In that very day, his plans perish. Happy is he who has God of Jacob for his health, whose hope is in the Lord his God. So this man knew his Bible. He went back to Psalms, and he said to them that day, you see, Thaddeus is a fulfillment of Psalm 146. You see what happens? He died. His spirit departed, and then all of his people dispersed. And the same happened with Judas. The same. 
And I want to use that today. I want to say, look, if you come here because you follow me as a person, you are making the biggest mistake of your life. Biggest mistake. Because I'm a man and a person just like you. You know, one of these years, if the Lord tarries, I will depart. My spirit will depart from me. Where will you go then? Do not follow a man. Do not come to this church because you follow me. If you do that, I want to highly recommend you go back on your knees and you call out to God and follow Him alone. That is important to know. And if I, by any chance, try to connect you to me, then you need to call it out. And you need to go and find somebody who's not attaching people to them. I see so many churches, it's about the preacher, the pastor. You ask people, you know, I ask people honestly, I say, how's your spiritual life going? You know what's the first thing they answer? Listen next time when you ask that. They say, oh, now I'm in a great church. Oh, really? How is your faith with God? How's your walk with God going? Oh, you should hear our pastor. Man, he, that man, he is a great preacher. No, no, that's not what I've asked. How is your relationship with God? Oh, we've got a vibrant church. It's not about the church. It's about your relationship with Him. And this man was right in that regard. But here is where the problem comes. He gave bad advice. You are going to challenge me on this, but let's listen to this now. He says, men, keep away from them. For if it works, and it, if it's for man, it will come to nothing. And we know that will happen. But if it's from God, you cannot overthrow it. And there he was right. But the problem here is, Gamaliel should have, that day, when he put the men outside, he should have turned to that whole council, and he should have said, men and brethren, and sad you cease. Listen to me clearly today. These men are talking the truth. We should all repent, fall on our knees, and call upon the God that they serve. But that's not what he said. He was sitting on the fence. He says, give them time. And if it proves to be true, let's follow them. Let's join them. That's not how it works. Because what did the angel say? said, go stand in the temple, speak to the people all the words of this life. This man, Gamaliel, he heard the preaching of the words of life, but he did not go for that word of life. So this is what I call a fence sitter. Are you still sitting on the fence this morning? It's very bad advice. You know, Isaiah calls you out this morning. He says, come now. Let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now listen to this verse, Gamaliel, Hillel, whomever you are. He says, if you are willing, everybody say willing, and obedient, everybody say obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, everybody say refuse, and say rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Look at this. Your willingness deals with your refusal to follow Christ. The willingness and your obedience settles your rebellious nature in your heart. The word of God is so true. Let's finish verse 40. And they agreed with him. And they had called the apostles and beaten them. See, this is intimidation. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council. Look at this. Oh, I'm so sore. My back is so sore. Did you see where they hit me? Right on the elbow. Yes, I was so sore. Look at, yeah, look at the blue. You know, why? Why are they doing? No, that's not. They didn't moan and groan and complain like I hear people today. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. And this is important to end on today. To suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and every house they did not see teaching and preaching Jesus. Listen to me quickly. I hear so many people. And they go, oh, you know what? I suffered today for his name's sake. And I asked them, what happened? And then it turns out that they suffered for their own name's sake, not for Christ's name's sake. Be careful. If you are going to be out there looking for trouble, guess what? 
going to find trouble. If you're going to be out there preaching the gospel, guess what? You're going to find trouble. But there's a difference from going to look for trouble and then the one where you go for gospel. I've worked with a man once and uh, he was driving on a motorway and he came to work that morning and he was just going off. He said, yes, you know, all of these people, you know, these sinners. I was driving on a motorway and this guy cut me off. He cut me off and I said to him, what are you doing? And then he started showing me signs and, you know, all these signs. I won't repeat them in church, but he repeated. But anyway, he was going on. And you see, you see, it is for Christ's name's sake that he's, that man didn't even know he was a Christian. I said, what did you do? He said, no, I was flicking my lights to him. I go, hello? Be careful. Be careful that you're not. You see, in Matthew 5, 11, he says, Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds and evil things to you for my name's sake. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I guess Peter is a man who can tell us about this, 2.20. For what credit is it if then when you are beaten for your faults, for your faults, for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, you take it patiently. This is commendable before God. He says, you, you're beaten for your faults. 1 Peter 3.14 But even if you should suffer for righteousness, sake, you are blessed. Amen. That's the word of God today. Offensitive. Are you offensive today? I want to say one thing to you. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about a, a place in your life? I mean, I'm not talking about even when you are born again. There are certain things when the Holy Spirit comes to you and He speaks to you that you know that you need to correct in your life. Stop sitting on the fence. Fix that. How do I fix that, preacher? Go on your knees. You, you remember what He said? If somebody is suffering, what do you do? You pray. Call on Jesus. You say, but I can't pray for an hour. I mean, you talk about praying for an hour. I never said you should pray for an hour. Have you ever heard me say that? No, no. You know what? The most powerful prayer I've heard, I've, I've heard it, I've heard it. I was praying in the Pentecostal churches. You know those prayer meetings. They, they go, man. Those, they go loud. I was praying next to, be, next to a young man once, and all he said, all he said, and that stayed with me, Lord, that's all he said. That was his prayer. And that always stayed with me. Because all I heard, help me, Lord, three words. But within the cavity of his mindset, of his life, was so many things that he cried out to the Lord, who knows about those things to help him. He knew where to go to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much today for your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word is so precise. 